Welcome to Fit to Be Radio. Slip on your minimal sneakers, notch your headphones into your ears, tuck your smartphone into your pocket, and take us along for a walk while we talk. Or just grab a cup of your favorite drink and get on the floor and stretch a bit while we bring you all things fitness, core, and diastases recti related. You guys ready? Yes. All right. Born ready. Born ready. I love that. I, I love your first one though. When you're like, I wish I could just say all those things. I know. <laughs> that is so bad. <laughs> hey everybody, welcome to Fit to Be Radio. My name is Chris Banky. I'll be your host today. I'm here with Beth Learn. She's the CEO and founder of Fit to Be Studio. And we also have with us Haba Shahid. She is a pelvic floor expert. She is the founder of the Pelvic Expert. Um, she's got uh, over 10 years experience as a physical therapist, and we're super excited to have you with us today on the program. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Yes. So um, we always ask every guest where they're coming to us from. Where are you right now? I am in Sydney, Australia, so I'm down under. Fantastic. I feel like <laughs> that might be as far away from the Pacific Northwest as you can possibly get. Like it's the other side, the whole other side. So it's a miracle of technology. So how long have you been there? Um, my whole life. I was born in Sydney, I raised in Sydney, and I've been here my entire life. I've traveled around a little bit, never been to the US, but yeah, I'm Aussie born and bred. Wow. And so you love it. It's amazing there. Yeah, of course, like everyone. I mean, I think you take it for granted sometimes that, yeah, it's beautiful down here. Okay. Well, I think we need to do a fit-to-be on-site location and visit you um, because <laughs> I've never been there, and I think that we need to do that one of these days. So let's write that down, Beth. Okay. Um, I'm also going to Australia. Yeah, I know you're for it. So um, how, did you, how did you guys connect? What's the commonality for you two? Oh, I don't remember – Honestly, how I first connected with you, Heba, I, I just, I found you through one of our other colleagues, probably, probably Jesse Mundell or another pelvic floor expert. Um, and I remember discovering you and being so intrigued by, honestly, your appearance, uh, as you, you're a pelvic floor expert, um, but you, you have, the, is it a hijab? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I was like, what? Because I'm going to confess this straight up. Everybody listening, you know, I'm this white girl over here in America. And I was thinking, huh? How? What? <laughs> I, I didn't, <laughs> for some reason, had a complete blind spot uh, to women on the other side of the planet needing pelvic floor therapy. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> And um, well, everyone all over the planet needs pelvic floor therapy, right? Right, yeah. right. Um, so I, I got onto your blog and I started reading some of the things that you wrote and it blew me out of the water. The work that you do, the way that you do it, um, the way that you integrate your beliefs, but in such a tactful, respectful way. Mm -hmm. um, you're just so approachable and the information you put out is amazing. I love it. I love sharing it. It's awesome stuff. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. So you have a lot of experience. You've got a website, The Pelvic Expert. Can you give us a little background? I mean, you've been doing this work for a long time, but can you fill us in on your background? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I started off as a physiotherapist or physical therapist, as you're called in the US. Um, and I've been working in this area for almost a decade. 
And the way that I got into it was through my own pelvic health issues. So um, in my first year out of university or college, as you call it there, Uh um, I injured my pelvis pretty badly to the point Mm -hmm. that um, I couldn't actually walk. So I was in rehab for almost nine months and, um, you know, I had completely atrophied in my right leg. I had a really major traumatic injury and I tore a lot of muscles. Oh. I got a lot of inflammation, tendonitis, bursitis, all this, all the stuff that could Ow. possibly go wrong. I had that. And so it was my own journey of trying to find solutions to my pain. So by that point I was in chronic pain, like I was in agonizing pain, you know, 10 out of 10 pain, uh, I just didn't, couldn't see a way out of my pain. And so I thought, hey, here's this, um, you know, I'm a physiotherapist. I should know all about pain and all about the muscles in the body, what's going on. And so I, at, the, at that point, I didn't know that there was a specialty area, women's health, pelvic floor, pelvic mm-hmm. health. Like, I didn't know that there was a specialty area for, for chronic pelvic pain. Um, and so it was in my own research trying to find that helping to help my own issues. That's kind of how I fell into it. And then I you know, I'm a bit of a nerd, so I wanted to know everything and everything and how everything connects and, yeah. you know, not, not just fitness, but not just like pain, but also, you know, nutrition and self-care mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the, the whole picture. And so, yeah, I spent a lot of years just um, really upskilling myself. So I have a lot of backgrounds in like nutrition, Pilates, yoga, chronic pain, birth education, just everything put together so I can provide this holistic experience for the women that I work with. And then after working in a private practice here in the Sydney city area for over five years, I um, then decided, you know, seeing the gaps in women's healthcare, seeing that women just didn't have a clue what was going on in their bodies, why this stuff was happening to them, why don't they know about physio. Um, I decided to set up the Pelvic Expert blog and I started writing about my experiences and my clients and the things that I wanted people to know about and that women wanted to know about. Um, and then, yeah, and then I fell pregnant myself, had a baby, decided I was going to turn it into a business. And yes, here we are. The yeah, I remember, I, I think yeah. I found you shortly before you got pregnant. And a lot of your content was about endometriosis too. Um, and we're going to be talking today about pelvic organ prolapse a lot, but we're going to have you back to talk about endometriosis mm-hmm. specifically, because you shine in that area with some excellent resources. I know I just made some people really sad who were like, oh, I want to learn about that. Oh, I have to wait. <laughs> Got to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, yeah. More than happy to be back and talk about endo. Yes, yes, because it affects a lot of women. But I followed you through your pregnancy. It was such a beautiful pregnancy, and you have a little girl, right? Yeah, I do. She's a year and three, four months now. Jeez, time flies. Already? <laughs> oh, man. Wow. <laughs> So you've been following me for that long. I didn't even realize. Wow, that's that's real. I feel really, I feel really special. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. It, it is. It's very insightful. Um, you, like I said, you put out a really great content that's just solid. It's in like it's evidence based, backed up, and and I appreciate that. There's a lot of fluff out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, there is. <laughs> and misinformation. Yeah. Misinformation. So so pelvic organ prolapse. So let's just. Let's go high level. Let's start off just what, mm-hmm. what is that? Let's talk about that. Talk yeah. About. 
So, okay, so firstly, pelvic organ prolapse affects about 30 to 50 women roughly, and it can affect women who've given birth or it can affect women who haven't given birth. So the most common times that women have prolapse are straight after birth. It could be straight after your first birth. Um, If they have a history of chronic constipation, that's a big one, and then during menopause, whether they've had children or not, those are the three times where women are most likely to develop pelvic organ prolapse. Okay. Now, Think about it, the way that I like to explain it is, is quite visually so people understand and can visualize what's going on. So I say, okay, imagine this room is like a pelvis, okay? okay? And you've got three big balls hanging in the room and they're hanging in the room by elastic bands, keeping them up in the middle of the room. Elastic bands kind of to the front and back, between the balls, to the side. Basically, these three balls are hanging there or held there because of this elastic tissue that's keeping it supported up there. So those three balls are your pelvic organs, your bladder, your uterus, and your rectum, okay? Mm -hmm. And underneath those three balls are your pelvic floor muscles. And your pelvic floor muscles kind of act like hands that provide some support from underneath to push up those organs. Now, what happens in pelvic organ prolapse is that you get an overstretch of those connective tissues or those elastic bands, or you can have a tear of those elastic bands during birth. And so one or more of those balls can sit lower in the pelvis than it was originally. So instead of your bladder sitting up at the top of your pelvis, the elastic band that's holding it up or the elastic band at the top or at the sides or the front or back, they can lose their they can lose their tautness, and so that ball or the bladder then sits lower down, and it's sagging now, and it's putting pressure on your pelvic floor muscles, which are your hands of support. It, it's putting pressure on there, causing your pelvic floor muscles to either become inhibited, become weaker, maybe even overwork, or not even work at all because they're pushed out of the way. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can have um, a prolapse of your bladder your uterus, your rectum, you can have a prolapse prolapse of one individual organ, you can have prolapse of multiple organs. And they're wow. known by different things. Yeah, so sister seal for bladder, uterine prolapse for uterus, rectus seal for the rectum. That makes sense. That's a really good image. I have never heard that particular word image. That's oh, perfect. Well, I can I totally see it in my head. Yeah. <laughs> so when, when So somebody that's listening to this, what are the signs, the symptoms, like what, how would they know this mm-hmm. that could be happening? So there, there are a few, a number of symptoms that women could be having. And the most common symptom is pressure. So people feel a sense of pressure or heaviness or dragging in their pelvis. And they notice mm-hmm. it more usually if they've gone for long walks or they've had a long busy day or they've done a lot of lifting during the day, they feel right. this pressure sort of sensation. And some women, they don't even notice that they have it. They don't even notice that sensation of pressure until they go and see a women's health physical therapist and they tell them they have prolapse and then they teach them how to fix it. And then they realize, oh, pressure sensation that I had is gone now. And they don't Mm -hmm. even realize that they had it in the first place. That's the most common symptom. But then there are other symptoms as well. So people might feel lower abdominal pain. They might feel Mm -hmm. lower back pain. Um, they might feel, um, they might see a bulge down there or feel a bulge down there. So that's yeah. like a really obvious sort of feeling. And the other more common symptoms are actual 
issues with their bladder and bowel function. So they feel, you know, I haven't completely emptied my bladder if they have a bladder prolapse. I haven't completely emptied my bowel if they have a bowel prolapse. I haven't, um, I feel like I can't control my bladder or bowel. So they're having incontinence. They might be leaking from their bladder or from their bowel. Um, they, you know, there's a whole bunch of different symptoms that show prolapse, but those are the most common ones. But then even little ones like, you know, when you go to the bathroom and you're weeing and your wee goes off to one side or it starts and stops or it's really slow or, uh-huh. um, you know, there's a whole variety of different symptoms. You feel really constipated, like, feel like you can't get it out. So, you know, anything that feels a bit off down there, if it feels like it's not functioning the way that it should, chances are that you have prolapse, especially if you've given birth or you're in menopause. Right. That is such a another good, clear explanation. And, and I think it also points to the reason why we want to see well, I want to see my clients, my fitness clients, go get physio or physical therapy because it's not just a case of, hey, do your kegels. Um, there could be things that have been displaced mm-hmm. or prolapsed um, that need to be manipulated back where they belong so that you're not just tightening muscles around them in the wrong spots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so one of the things that I highly recommend in women who have pelvic organ prolapse and this depends on where you live in the world so i know in the u.s you you probably need to see a gynecologist for this but here in australia physiotherapists do it so Mm -hmm. one of the most useful things that you could do for for pelvic organ prolapse is to have a support device fitted and this is known as a pessary and it can come in different shapes and sizes so there's a a ring-shaped pessary there's a cube-shaped pessary there's lots of different um, shapes and sizes and what happens is we we check what's the sizing of the womb because every woman's different Mm -hmm. and then we insert this pessary or this support device in through her vagina kind of like how you would put a tampon in put it in through the vagina and kind of let it go up and what it does is if one one or more of your organs are sagging down it will will push them back up it'll put them back into where they should be and Essentially, these pessaries, they sit on top of the pelvic floor. So if your pelvic floor muscles were moved out of the way because of this prolapse, like maybe this prolapse, you know, it's, it's pushed your pelvic floor muscles out of the way and these muscles can't work. Once you have that pessary in, those pelvic floor muscles can come back together and you can actually engage them. This is the issue that a lot of women with pelvic organ prolapse have is that they, they're like, I'm doing my kegels, I'm doing my exercises, but I still mm-hmm. can't feel my pelvic yeah. floor muscles working. I can feel them squeezing, but I can't feel them lifting. Right. And that's because when you have a prolapse, you're actually pushing those lifting portions of your pelvic core muscles out of the way. Mm. And so then um, you only feel the squeezes working. And so once you have that pessary and, ah, now you've moved those organs back up, the pelvic floor lifters can come back on and you can actually feel the muscles engaging. So, yeah, I often say get a support device so that you can have you know, the best possible contraction from your pelvic floor as possible. And then your pelvic floor should be working with other muscles in your body. It's, you know, Kegels are not the answer. A lot of women think, oh, just do 10 Kegels at the traffic lights and yeah. that will fix my problems. No, uh-huh. it's not like that. It'll never work like that. Um, I mean, in some cases, yeah, it might help with a bit of incontinence, but for long-term, for long-term mm-hmm. strong right. strength and stability for life, you need the entire muscle system working. Right. Right. So basically, you know, one of the things that it sounds like is that um, too often women think, I just need to do some exercises, but the exercises by themselves are often not enough, sounds like. So so Kegel exercises in isolation, no, they're not enough. They're they're only one part of the puzzle. Right. Human body 
there's no muscle in the human body that works in isolation and right. the muscles in your body don't work in isolation. They work with your fascia or your connective tissue. And then that system doesn't work in isolation. You need to make sure that your nutrition is good so that you don't put right. pressure down on your pelvis. Right. You know what I mean? So the whole body right. is like a complex system that works together. Right. Yeah. Well, and I, I like the analogy of, you know, we as humans, we're created for community. And our muscles are the same way. Like they're not designed right. to work by themselves. They're created for community. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, right. Exactly. Together. That's a very, that's a very great analogy. So, so how does that, so you mentioned nutrition, how does that tie in to gut health and the prolapse? I mean, are they tied together? I mean, how do they connect? Absolutely. So, well, first things, let's, let's think anatomically. The nerves that supply your pelvis, so the same nerves that supply your pelvic floor muscles and your pelvic organs, they also supply your abdominal area. So they supply your abdominal organs as well. So if your abdominal health is out of, out of synergy and it's, you know, not working so great, this is going to put the same, you know, the same type of out of whackness in your pelvis as well. And you have to think about it. When a woman has pelvic organ prolapse, her organs are sagging down, right? So there's increased pressure downwards on her pelvic floor and on her pelvic organs. And you can get that same pressure. So that same pressure that you can have on your abdominal organs can then transfer into your pelvic organ. So you have to think about it. If a woman has pelvic organ prolapse, if she's constipated and her bowels are full, like her intestines are full, she hasn't emptied her bowel in you know a couple of days or maybe she's only emptying bits and pieces there's now this increased pressure right this increased pressure that's coming down onto her rectum and then that pressure on the rectum can then transfer onto her bladder as well so so you can see that there's this kind of down the chain thing then the other thing is if a woman has you know food intolerances right like Mm. let's say she's intolerant to gluten and every time she eats gluten she gets so bloated and she's in pain and you know she really she's got abdominal pain she's just gassy like all of those symptoms right that's the same thing that's the same thing you you've got this pressure well that's what bloating right you've got this pressure in your abdomen that's getting transferred down into your rectum and onto your bladder and it can make your pelvic organ symptom your pelvic organ prolapse symptoms worse so that's why whenever i work with women who have you know exercise is not just the answer you have to make sure that your entire body is working well reduce the bloating eliminate food intolerances like eliminate the foods that are making you feel sick right mm-hmm. so the better your gut health is the better your gut bacteria is the better you're going to have you know better pelvic pelvic bacteria and better less constipation better bowel movements you know and your entire health is so much better just or emptying whatever's in your whatever's in your intestine right. that's building up. So right. yeah, it's 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 kind of you know w- what you eat is going to affect what comes out as well, right? right? And how that right. pressure in your pelvic floor. All connected. Now you know I originally came to pelvic stuff via diastasis recti stuff because that's my field of specialty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, just a few years into studying that, sooner really, began to realize, hello, everything's connected, you know, and the transverse abdominis coactivates with the pelvic floor muscles, coactivates with adductors. You know, there's all these little communications that happen up and down the chain. And um, what I didn't realize right away, though, was how... Um, those two play off of each other when it comes to digestion. So, you know, you have the bloating and then that's going to pressurize your belly, which can make a diastasis worse. And then it's also pressurizing and making pelvic floor issues worse. 
Um, can you validate that? Have you noticed that as well? I mean, I'm sure, but. Yeah, absolutely. There's a huge connection between diastasis recti and pelvic organ prolapse and pelvic floor dysfunction. In fact, the research shows that women who have diastasis recti, about two-thirds of them are going to have pelvic organ prolapse or mm-hmm. bladder control problems or bowel control problems because, mm-hmm. again, the entire system is connected. Right. And you know, when you lose pressure in the abdomen, which is what happens in diastasis recti, like you've lost that support system for your pressure mm-hmm. system, then it's going to go somewhere. It's going to translate somewhere. It's either going to go out, which is why your belly pooches, or it's going to go down, which is why women have bladder or bowel control problems or heaviness in their pelvis. So absolutely, there's a huge connection. And then, of course, the nutrition connection there as well because if you're bloated, it's going to go out or it's going to go down. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. Yeah. Yes, exactly. What she said, everybody, what she just said. So succinct and way better than I could even sum it up. (laughs) Good stuff. So it seems like um, one of the things that you're saying is, and and this is a common theme that we see um, with a lot of guests, but it's kind of a shame because it's a common theme because it's not common. It doesn't seem to be commonly approached, which is it's all connected. You have the nutrition component, you have the physical component, you have the fitness component. And if you're not paying attention to all those different pieces, then there's going to be weakness in those areas. And that's, I think what can affect you. That's what I'm hearing overall messages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for absolutely. sure. <laughs> and, and people often don't connect those dots. Um, and I think that there is a huge disconnect, especially in the United States when it comes to food and nutrition. Uh, we are just really, really behind on how our nation deals with proper nutrition and, and with helping people understand that how we eat does impact our life. And we're very fat, we're the fast food nation mm-hmm. and we're about the here and now and your way right away. And, and all these little slogans that we have, you know, we, we invented McDonald's, right? So, <laughs> um, and then you, like, I had a friend one time who said, um, about coconut oil. He's like, I just don't understand, um, why something that you would eat, you would also rub on your body or why something you would rub on your body, you would also eat. Like that just makes me not want to use it at all. Like anything that I can do both things with, I don't want any part of. And I was thinking, well, that's the opposite for me. Exactly. (laughs) Like what you can put on your body, you should be able to eat and what you eat, you should be able to put on your body. Right. Absolutely. Right. (laughs) And And, and it's funny because we use coconut oil when we're like, when I was working in private practice as a physiotherapist and we, we do vaginal exams. Mm-hmm. So I would use coconut oil for my assessments because I didn't like um, a lot of the, you know, mm-hmm. the lubricants out there because of all the, you know, parabens and phthalates, yeah. all those synthetic sort right. of things aggravate women's tissues. So using something natural like coconut oil, you know, like a no brainer. Yeah. yeah. Whereas when I went to PT for my neck and this is external, I brought some coconut oil with me one time and asked her to use it. And she's like, I, I can't, that's not approved by our clinic and it's wow. not an FDA rate. And I was like, what? what? But I brought it. I'm asking you to put this on me in place of that other junk you've been using. And she's wow. like, I'm sorry, I, I can't do that. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know we don't have that sort of issue here. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, just all those little mental blocks and mind blocks that we have around these different things that are connected and and they impact us up and down the chain for sure. Yeah. 
So, so if a woman is feeling, maybe they're listening to this and she's thinking, yeah, I think that might be me. I think that what they're talking about, I'm suffering from some of those symptoms. What's the first thing that she should do? Like, what's your advice to her? Mm -hmm. So definitely um, speak to a pelvic floor physical therapist. So, um, you know, I don't know how easy it is in the US, the system, but here it's really easy. Like we're, we are primary care providers, so we don't even need a referral. You can just call us up and book in an right. appointment and you might get in next week. So, um, yeah, definitely try and touch base with the pelvic floor physical therapist because, as I mentioned before, we do vaginal examinations and part of our vaginal examinations always includes a prolapse assessment. And women think, oh, you know, prolapse, I, I have to go get an ultrasound or I have to go see a gynecologist. And like, you know, it, 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 people think that it's this complicated thing, but it's not. We can actually see if a woman has prolapse, what grade of prolapse she has, how many different types of prolapse she has mm-hmm. from a simple vaginal examination. So we can mm-hmm. take a look. We just look down there. We get them to do a little technique called a valsalva, which is basically just bearing down. And we see, does her um, walls move? Does her the front wall move? That means that she might have a bladder prolapse. Does her back wall move? That means she might have a, a rectum prolapse. Does you know the middle move? Is, does she have a uterine prolapse? So we look at that and we can grade it. And then based on that, we can all... And also we can assess the strength, endurance, repetitions, you know, all of that of her actual pelvic floor muscles. How well is she activating her pelvic floor muscle? Can she activate them at all? Um, and, and we know that, you know, there are quite a significant number of women who have no idea how to engage their pelvic floor. And sometimes that vaginal exam is what gets that, uh, okay, that's what you mean. That's how I switch them on. Right. Mm-hmm. So definitely engage with a physical therapist. And if you can't or, you, or you know, it's too difficult, it's too expensive or whatever it might be, you know, this is what we do here at the Pelvic Expos. We support women anywhere in the world from the comfort of their own homes. We have a community um, of experts and women who support each other who have pelvic organ prolapse. Um, so, yeah, you're more than welcome to reach out to us, so thepelvicexpert.com. Um, but, yeah, definitely try and see a women's health physical therapist. That would be my first my first sort of thing, mm-hmm. just to get a diagnosis find out what's going on in your pelvic floor and then start a treatment plan. And, you know, you can, the thing is a lot of people think, oh, I need to go and have surgery now. Like if I have prolapse, I have, I have to have surgery. And actually you don't. Like, you know, so many women still want to have more kids or many women don't want to have to go down that surgical path. And we know that surgery itself has a lot of um, negative things, especially now with these class actions for the mesh, which, um, which is happening yeah. in the US and in Australia and in the UK. Uh, when it comes yeah. to the mesh surgery for prolapse. And we also know, unfortunately, that the bladder surgery, the surgery for bladder prolapse is actually really unsuccessful. And, you know, you, most women have to, or about a third of women have to go and have a second surgery mm. on top of that, right? Because it fails so often. So, you know, we know from research that a, a structured pelvic floor exercise program you know, a pessary, all of these things, you can have as up to 84% success rate, right? You don't need to go down that avenue of having to have surgery. So, you know, don't feel like it's the end of the world. It's not a death sentence. You know, I've worked with women, you know, over the last decade, getting them from, you know, quite significant prolapse to things like CrossFit, running, martial arts, boot camps. Like, it's not the end of the world. You can do whatever it is that you want to do. You just need to know how to engage your support system and, and what you need to do to, to get that support. And it could be the use of that pessary or that support device. Right. Now, 
you mentioned how in Australia, where you are, physical therapists, physiotherapists are primary care, your direct entry. Um, that is the case in my state. I live in Washington state in America, um, but it's not the case in all states. Usually they have to go to a doctor and get a prescription. The doctor is examining them. Oftentimes the doctor is trying to get them to do surgery. They don't even want to prescribe physical therapy. Finding a physical therapist that is a specialist in pelvic floor that's not just going to tell them to do kegels and instruct them how to do kegels and send them home is difficult. Um, like it's, it's ridiculous how few true specialists we have here. And um, that's surprising because I was under the impression that you guys had a lot of them um, just based on Facebook groups and stuff like that. I was under the impression maybe it's just not widely known because I know we have the same problem here in Australia is that women don't know that women's right. health therapists exist and right. doctors don't know and right. specialists don't know. So it's, it might be just a gap in education of, of, of the community rather than a gap of actual specialists. So I, I could be well, wrong. I don't know what it's like in the U S but I mean, um, so I, I like I'm in that women's health physiotherapist group. Um, I studied pre-physical therapy in college and, and so I, you know, I got into that group and, and it's like, you know, there's thousands of women, but when you think about it, there's 300 million people in America alone mm-hmm. and you know, that's not even one per city. I mean, that's not even one county, you know, the amount of physical therapy. It's just, it's the problem that we have. It's the same thing with other areas of medicine too, like naturopathic medicine and some of these other things where, um, there are pockets where it's readily available, like Mm -hmm. in the Pacific Northwest where both Beth and I live, there's a lot more availability even on the East coast. Um, but if you go to the middle of the country in the South, there's a lot less availability for some of these things. Yeah. So that's where I think it's really important for women. They need to, they need to figure it out. Like they need to, they need to keep trying just because there might not be somebody in their hometown. They need to keep trying. They need to visit your website. Mm-hmm. Information there, right? That, that's, that's, that's exactly why I set up the pelvic expert because I was having women from all over the world right. reaching out saying, you know, where do I find this information? Mm-hmm. Like, who do I speak to? Right. So like, for me, I, I'm not, I'm not, I, I, I mean, I love helping everybody, but I'm not so much interested for women who have readily access in city areas. Like for me, mm-hmm. I care about the women in rural, regional, right. and you know, areas like you're saying where there's one therapist per whatever, hundred thousand right. people, like, right. you know, that's the women that I care about. That's the women that I try to reach out to because I can help them you know, with my expertise from online and right. yeah, like I'm more than happy for them to reach out to me. I'm pretty much an open book. So mm-hmm. and the well, real and then, message. Oh, go ahead. And then getting them there though, too. And I'm sure you've encountered this is that the women who are in those rural settings and in America, that would be the Midwest and, you know, kind of that we call it the Bible belt here, um, where there is a lot of taboo, a lot of shit. We don't talk about that. We're ladylike. We don't, we don't talk about that. Mm-mm. We're proper bells. We don't, mm-mm. And we, you know, I, I've mentioned in another episode, but something I have frequently heard is, um, pretty girls don't talk about that. Nope. And, um, and those parts are dirty, you know, there, there's just some really, really horrible stigmas. And so getting them, getting them to understand they need physical therapy and then getting them past the, the bridge of understanding that it's, it's going to likely involve some internal work. Right. instantly there's this 
oh, no, 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 uh-uh. Ain't right. nobody, ain't nobody looking or touching down there. No way. Mm-mm. I'm partly not surprised. So I'm partly surprised because, you know, being an Australian watching US television shows, you just see that everyone's so open on TV. You just assume that, oh, all Americans must be like that. I'm kind of surprised in that sense. But then I'm I'm not surprised because I, I face the same sort of things here. Like I went, when I was working in women's health physio, so I'm also not surprised. I know my daughter's just made an appearance, <laughs> but um, I'm also not surprised because um, when I went into women's health physio, I had these pre preconceived notions that, um, you know, that Muslim women, for example, were going to be more uncomfortable about having vaginal exam um, and that, you know, Australian women and Anglo women would be totally okay with it. Like they wouldn't have an issue, but I saw these same sort of things here as well. Like a lot of, um, you know, just women in general, like Australian women, um, regardless of which race or background they came right. from, were, you know, were also uncomfortable about, you know, coming, like we would have phone calls and as soon as we tell them you have to have a vaginal exam, it's like, oh, I'll call yeah. back later. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but we make a no- we make a note to make sure that we always tell women over the phone so they don't have a shock when they come in right. um, on their first assessment. Um, but yeah, like it's it's a I guess it's just a societal sort of thing. Like I mean, you know, th- that area is, uh, uh, you know, it is a it has been a tabooed right. topic for a very long time, and even though there is that openness today, um, you know, a lot of us still have our beliefs. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and. You know, like you said, um, if you just judge it based on uh, like American movies, that that's the real irony is people will watch stuff, but they're not necessarily living that out. They'll watch a lot of things that they'll never do. And I think they actually use that to justify some of the things they watch, but that's a whole other can of worms. Um, <laughs> we won't go there right now. Uh, but, but when, when they actually get to the point of they're ready to have an appointment, um, I find that there's a lot of education that has to happen about or with teaching them that it's okay, that it's okay to, to be touched and that it's okay to have help in this area and that getting help in this area is crucial to them being strong again. Mm -hmm. But, and we were talking about this in the pre-show, I'm just going to jump right in. We were talking about how women kind of, they can martyr themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and I know you and I both, like I thought what I thought and you thought what you thought. And turns out there's a lot of similarities. Mm-hmm. And one of those similarities is women that kind of lay themselves on this altar of motherhood and think that they're supposed to be broken. I know. Like w- there is this issue that we have like globally, like, you know, pre- women and mothers in particular have to be martyrs to them, to their bodies, right? Like mm-hmm. we, we give birth, we should expect that things are going to go wrong and we should expect that we have to live with the consequences of, you know, whatever it is that, that we had. And w- we should put ourselves last. We should put our husbands first or our spouses first. We should put our or partners first or we should put our babies and children first. And, mm-hmm. you know, and our body just kind of keeps falling apart and wearing away. And we're not, you know, and this is the issue that I face even today. Like, Getting women to commit to their to their exercises, commit to their bodies, take care of themselves—it's extremely difficult. Like they just, you know, I, I almost have to like beg them to do the exercises sometimes, right? And, and this is the thing—it's like, oh, I just have time. I have this. I have that. I have this. I have that. What about ten minutes for your for yourself and for your body? Not just for today, but for tomorrow and the rest of your life and for right. for your motherhood and for your, you know, for you know, once your kids leave the home too, like 
you know, you're in this body for life, right? Right. So you've got to take care of it today because if you don't, you know, it's, it's not, it's not going to just miraculously get better. Like these things right. need help, right? Right. Just like you said before, we need community. Well, your body needs a community of muscles and a right. community of, of, of the foods that we eat and, yeah. Yeah. I, one thing that really intrigued me um, about your website um, right away, and this was years ago, and I, I couldn't find it now, but you had this beautiful blog about um, some of the ways that your faith actually encourages women, and, and more so than mine ever did, to um, you know understand their bodies and take care of their bodies, specifically um, their private parts and their sexuality. Can, are you willing, and, and would you be so kind as to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So um, I think w- one of the things that a lot of people get confused when it comes to religion and culture is right. a lot of women and, and a lot of people <laughs> put their cultural values on top of the religion and, and perpetrate that as religion, right? Right. But within Islam, um, you know, we're, we're taught a lot of stuff about our bodies and especially the woman's body. So we have a lot of evidence base, as we like to call it, when it comes to what is healthy, what, what are healthy periods, um, yeah. you know, what, how long your period should last, what, what, is, what constitutes a period, um, and then a lot of exceptions for, for women when they have periods. So, for example, like right now it's Ramadan, right? And um, in Ramadan we don't need to fast when we have our period. And it makes sense because you're losing a lot of blood and right. you're tired and you've got mood things and, you know, like not all women that have periods, but, a lot, you know, many women do. and so we're exempted from fasting so that we can, you know, make sure that we're properly hydrated, properly, you know, proper nutrition, um, emotionally okay so that we don't wear ourselves down. And then the other thing is like when women are pregnant, when women are breastfeeding, so like right now I'm breastfeeding, mm-hmm. um, I, I tried to fast this month, but I couldn't. I only fasted a few days because my milk just went and then yeah. it was painful for me to try and breastfeed um, physically, but also for my daughter, she couldn't get the milk. So, right. um, you know, so then I, I said, okay, for myself and for my daughter, I, I'm not going to fast. Um, and, and we have these exemptions. And sometimes, like, culture comes into it and a lot of people are like, no, you have to fast. It doesn't matter. Like, you know, that mm-hmm. it's this cultural thing that they bring from I don't know where, like, forced that, that we have to be martyrs again to our bodies. Yeah. Um, but we don't. Like, if you go deep into the religious scripture, it, there's clear outlines and women, you know, who are breastfeeding or pregnant, who are on their periods, they don't have to fast. Um, so, so, yeah, like, there's, we have a lot of um, rulings and a lot of um, evidence when it comes to, you know, even even understanding our body parts, like mm-hmm. the urethra and the vagina and what's the difference and, like, the difference between, you know, and, and we have certain things, like certain things that we can't do, like within our religion, we, we, we can't have certain types of, of like for example we can't have anal sex and there's a there are reasons behind that mm-hmm. and yeah you know, all of that is explained to us so that it's not just these are the rules it's like right you know physiologically medically these are the reasons why yeah Physi- yeah like you said physiologically and medically and for health reasons i i totally get that and and i i this is where i i think there's this beauty in and again, how, how we were created and in believing in this loving design that it's not about these laws and doing things a certain way, just to do them a certain way. It's because there's, um, when we do them that way, things are healthier, but there's also, there's a freedom and there's these exceptions and there's this beauty to it. And that, that I could talk about that kind of thing all day. And just the way that it, it taught, it teaches people 
in, passively, but also actively to respect their bodies and to understand their bodies, mm-hmm. right? That's so, that's so neat. And I didn't know, I, I had no clue. And so it gave me a lot more respect for, um, for Islam and, and, and just intrigued me because there's so much hush hush, at least the way I was raised in the, in the Christian faith. Um, but, but when you actually dive into the scriptures, some of the same things are there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's absolutely. And, and we see the same thing in all the scriptures, like Hindu scripture, um, you know, Christian, Jewish scripture, like we yeah. have these things, but because of our cultural nuances, mm-hmm. we pile these things on that have kind of distorted, you yeah. know, what even what we believe and what the world believes. Of right. These, if you get to the root, get to the root of all of these different religions, like, you know, we have very similar beliefs and we have similar approaches. It's mm-hmm. just kind of been lost over the generations. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think I'm just giddy to talk to you too, because it's like, yeah, you were really different, but our passion is the same. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, you're on the other side of the world and you come from a different religious background, but we're both serving women in this authentic way that is really nerdy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we just both love what we do. And um, I don't know, it's just been such a delight to talk to you. And I can't wait to have you back on to talk about endo and discuss that because, yeah, wow, that is coming. another topic we can unpack. It's coming. Oh, definitely. And thank you so much for having me. It's been, it's truly been a pleasure. And I hope, you know, all the women who are listening, you've, you know, come to terms a bit more with what pelvic organ products is. And, and, you know, hopefully if you have any of these signs and symptoms, you can seek help. Mm -hmm. Well, and I I hope they also take away that no matter what background they have, hopefully we've blown some of those barriers out of the water. Like Mm -hmm. here, here you and I come from a couple of the most conservative, at least what people tend to think. Um, I like to say I'm a few wild hairs to the left. <laughs> um, well, yeah, yeah, it, does, it doesn't matter, you know, what race, background, religion, yeah. where you're from. You know, we're all women and we, we can, you know, we, we're all entrusted with this body that we should be taking care of. Right. Right. Absolutely. Amen. All right. Amen. Amen. Oh, wait. wait. Oh, wait. Oh, there she is. We have to ask you one more thing, and that is, what is your favorite exercise? <laughs> I would have to say squats are my favorite exercise. They are like the best exercise for everything in your body. Um, and they're so functional. And, you know, your pelvic floor works, and it relaxes, and your glutes work, and they relax. Yeah. And yeah, I love squats. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I agree. We recorded a whole podcast about squats. Chris didn't think we could do it, but we did. I was proved wrong. <laughs> Squats are amazing. I I came to learn that. (laughs) Yes. Well, thank you again so much. It's been an honor. Yeah. Thank Thank you. you. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for listening. I really hope that you join us in our community over at fit2be.com. You can join as a member for one low monthly rate or an awesome yearly rate that includes everything. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on our social media on Twitter at fit to be on Instagram at fit to be studio and on Facebook under fit to be tummy safe fitness. See you soon.